0: Today's passage is from Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language akaldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord.
1: There we go. Is this on? Yeah, power button. There we go. All right, well, welcome everyone to, uh, to Lords Love Church. It's uh, a delight as always to be here worshiping God with you guys, um, yeah, and, and hearing God's message. And yeah, it's great to be with you guys this week. And so I just want to say a special welcome to you both in person and online. And I hope that you guys had a great week. As you guys know, this week is a bit chaotic with the snow and the rain. You don't know if you're supposed to go to work or not, or you are safe driving on the road. Um, but I hope that you guys were safe and still had an enjoyable week. Um, and today, um, and also for those of you who are new with us, uh, my name is Howard, and I'm glad that you guys are here joining us for worship uh, today. So I just want to say a special welcome. And uh, today, it is my joy to be sharing God's Word with you all. As you know, that uh, last week we started on a series on the book of Acts, and the, and the title is Gospel in Motion. And last week, uh, and about, and we're focusing on how the church began its course after Jesus' resurrection and how they went around to many different places to, to plant churches and to sp- spread the gospel. And... Um, And so the gospel was in motion. It was constantly moving, and they were going to different places and changing lives. And last week's big idea was that the birth of the church is powered by the proof and promises of Jesus. So in other words, it all began, the church began because of Jesus, because of what He had done for us on that cross. He died, and He resurrected, meaning that He had victory over sin and death. And because of that, we are able to have community today. We have church today where we can actually worship Him and and, and be in fellowship together. And the great thing about this is that we are also part of God's great plan, His plan for His uh, mission to go and and spread uh, the message of the good news. And we are part of that. And that's what we're called to do as a church. And so last week, Pastor Doug, went through the first portion of chapter one that talks about Jesus after his resurrection. He was meeting with the disciples for 40 days. And it was between the uh, resurrection and ascension when he went back to heaven. And he gave them this thing, this instruction to go to Jerusalem and stay there and then wait for the Holy Spirit. So they were waiting. So that was last week. But while they were waiting, they were also preparing for their leadership team. Uh, getting ready to go and spread the gospel. They were preparing the leadership team and they were spending time in prayer. And that is what we are going to be focusing on today, is how the church, the core team, the leadership team of the early church, spent the time praying and preparing themselves for, God's, uh, for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, before I start, I just want to pray. So please join me in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your faithfulness, God. We thank you so much for what you have done for us, God. And thank you for Jesus. We thank you for, that we get to come here and just worship you, Lord, to respond to you through, through, through songs, singing songs, through offering, and now hearing your message and through prayer, God. And so, Lord, we, we lift up th- this word up to you. This is your word. This is your message. So may your spirit soften our hearts for us to uh, receive your word well, and may your word change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this morning, I want to ask you guys a question. Do you know someone in your life who's good or very who likes to or who's keen on preparing before, they're, before they need to do something, before they need to get a job done? So maybe you know someone who has a daily morning routine or very early morning routine that gets them you know, ready, calm, and focused before they go to work. Or maybe someone who prepares their heart and mind before they play sports or do, or perform music, or public speaking, giving a presentation, and, or maybe studying for an exam. Right? Someone that you know who prepares their mind and their heart to do what they need to do. So as I was, prepare, as I was reflecting on this passage and thinking about preparation, it, um, it reminded me of this YouTube video that I saw um, before about how, as you, as you guys know I love like, hockey, and I love watching you know, the Canucks, even, you know, they're getting better now, so it's great. Um, But I love watching hockey players, like, get ready, like, on YouTube, um, just to see behind-the-scenes stuff. So if, Rachel, you can play the video of how they prepare Players that are fleet of foot. Chris Stewart isn't someone who immediately comes to mind, but he may very well be the fastest player on skates off the ice. This is his pregame ritual. He does this at home and on the road. Tonight, the ACC offered a unique challenge: a set of stairs. It didn't stop him, though. All right, so um, I tried doing that, not, not during the game, but I tried doing that after I watched it, like move my eyes, and I almost got dizzy right away. So I'm like, I don't know how they do it, but that's what they do to prepare themselves to uh, play. And I just, I'm showing you this, but I also wanna highlight two other hockey players that I feel like are a bit more normal, what they do. Um, so Sydney Crosby, uh, tapes his hockey stick the exact same way every time. At 5 p.m., he has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, specific brands of each, and then after that, he goes to soccer kick around with his team to warm up, and then he stretches in a certain order. And then Bo Horvath, the connects uh, captain, uh, gets up at the same time, nap at the same time, gets dressed at the same time, the exact same way, and ties his skates, his skates exactly the same way as well. So these are just some of the examples of how people, these professional athletes, prepare themselves before they need to go play sports. Now, can we all agree, okay, can we all agree that in order to get a task done or or get a job done, that preparation is important, right? It's so important to to prepare our minds and our hearts to do the tasks that we're called to do, right? Just imagine new parents. I don't have kids right now. I don't baby coming up or anytime soon, but I've been told stories about new parents going to prenatal or new parent classes to learn about how to take care of the newborn baby. Now, would you say that you're able to do it without taking any classes or have any knowledge? Maybe you could, maybe, maybe, um, but it might be hard, right? Students, are you able to go into the exam without studying your exam? Ho ho ho! that's a big no, no, no. And how about job interview? Are you able to go through a job interview without preparing yourself? And I think the answer is no. Nobody would do that. Everyone who goes through these things or they need to do things that are important, they prepare their minds and their hearts with it. Likewise, the apostles were told by Jesus to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And as they're waiting, they were also preparing themselves. They were preparing their, uh, their leadership team and they also prepared themselves by spending time praying together and lifting everything up to God. And so we're just starting the series now, but if you look at the rest of the book of Acts, you will see how the church became vibrant and how they were making impact in the places that they were traveling to. So um, the big idea that I want to uh, present today is this. That's not it. There we go. That prayer aligns our hearts in God's direction. That when we pray, when we spend time connecting with God and, and, and relying on Him, submitting, and depending on Him, that as we do that, that, that God, His Spirit, changes our hearts so that our hearts and our minds, so that our actions and our values will align with His heart. That, we, that He will move our hearts to His direction. That we will end up walking in straight path, walking in the right path. And anytime time we choose not to pray, and that's where we become farther away from God. But prayer helps us get closer to God. And prayer is essential to our Christian faith because, again, it's how we connect with Jesus and we know Him more on a deeper level. But we also is also important to our faith because it prepares our hearts. And then we're ready to answer God's call to go. So the first point we're going to look at right now is that prayer creates unity with God and as a church. That prayer is vital, it's important for us to connect with God individually and as a church. That without prayer, I don't think there's really unity in the church. And I strongly believe that. That prayer is so important, not just to only connect with God, but for us as a church to connect well with everyone. So let's read verses 12 uh, to 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to their room where where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James son of Ephesus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we see here that the apostles were... They obeyed Jesus' command to go to Jerusalem and, and to wait for the Holy Spirit, and as soon as they went up, uh, arrived, they went upstairs, and they began to pray. Just uh, just want to explain something about apostles. If you're new to the faith, or if you're seeking or exploring, just want to talk about apostles. During Jesus' time, he uh, had chosen 12 disciples to follow him, and, and, um, and they've seen Jesus' do amazing things throughout his ministry. And until after he died, um, then they were known as the apostles. Because apostle is someone, is a person or messenger sent by God to go and spread the gospel. There's a specific task to go spread the gospel, to go and plan churches, in this case, for them. And Sabbath day, this term is actually an expression of a Jewish one. It does not mean that it took place on Sabbath day, but it just means that Uh, the ascension took place in the near vicinity of Jerusalem. And so 13, verse 13, they go up, they pray, and I want to focus our time right now on verse 14. I really want to focus on that because I feel like oftentimes when we read the Bible, I know I'm saying this because it happens to me that when we read a line, something that may seem simple and we just brush by it, get past it. It's like, oh yeah, they all join together constantly in prayer and we move on and we go. But I want us to actually spend time thinking about this, that the, that, that the thing, the first thing that they did together as a community was they joined together constantly. So if you are using, you if you have a physical copy of the Bible or you highlight things on your Bible app, I want to encourage you guys to highlight constantly. The word constantly, or even better yet, join together constantly because that was who they were, that that's what they relied on. They relied on prayer as a group, to rely on Jesus through that means, um, as they continued to go and minister to other people. And you can tell that later on, if you read uh, after chapter 1, that, that they were together doing things. There's this togetherness and unity within them that, that, that was so powerful that people were able to see. So I want to read chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 46. So 42, they, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. 45, they sold property and possession to give to the needy. 46, every day they continued to meet together in a temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They had this this oneness in them, this unity, this togetherness that they did everything together daily. Praying together, spreading the gospel together, to the point where their faith was so strong that even when it came to persecution, when their faith was being threatened, they never gave up on it. They stand firm against the other people, and they stand firm in their faith, and they kept preaching the gospel, even if it meant that they would go to prison or beheaded. And, and I want us to imagine ourselves in this position as well where just, there's this togetherness, where we do things together, where we're constantly praying and relying on God. And so that's what they did. The first thing they did when they got there, they prayed. They lift things up to God. And then Peter, next thing, stands up. So we're going go to, to go to sidetrack a bit to focus on Peter in verse uh, 15. So verse 15, so right here, Peter stands up and addresses about Judas and, um, and replacing him, the idea of replacing him. So I'm just going to read it. So after they pray, Peter stands up and says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of the number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, "Academa," that is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take place in his leadership. And I want to make this fact, and you guys probably know already, but Judas' betrayal wasn't an unknown fact for Jesus. Like, he knew it all along right from the beginning. But Jesus allowed it to happen, right? So in in verse 15 to 17, Peter, taking the lead role, addresses the group about uh, the problem, that the structure is not right, and they need to fix it, they need to settle it. And so Peter began referencing the book of Psalms when the Holy, regarding about the Holy Spirit speaking through David regarding Judas' betrayal uh, towards Jesus and how there was a consequence because of that. And so the two of them is actually listed in verse 20. In Psalm uh, 69, verse 25, it says, May his place be deserted. Let, no one, let, let there be no one to dwell in it. And then Psalm 109, verse 8, May another take his place off leadership so that was the solution the first one was the consequence of it and so right here Paul, uh, peter cites psalm 69 verse uh, 25 and it's actually about the unrighteous or enemies of god like that will, that is what they would be experiencing that their home there will be desolate will be empty and that was part of god's judgment where he would leave them alone and that there will be emptiness over there and so Peter is saying that Judas belongs in that category. And so this is just in general, in the psalm, that is in general for any man of God, and so Peter places Judas in that category. And as a result, his house desolate, right, and his field that he bought, and solution is now, hey, we need to replace Judas. There's 12 spots that Jesus chose, but one of them fell, so now it's 11. We want to fill that 12 spot. So again, Peter explains the reason why Scripture needs to be fulfilled, right? Because first of all, like I said, Judas was 1 of 12, and the second one was because he associated with Jesus. Like he associated with Jesus and the other disciples, and they were serving ministry together. That's why it needs to be fulfilled. So Scripture, if you think about it, is ultimately a revelation from God, and and he speaks in it. He does amazing work that his word is still living active today, that it changes hearts, it changes lives. And so Scripture can guide the disciples because the Spirit of God is working through them as well. That's why Peter still uses Scripture. Even Paul in his letters uses the Old Testament to to support uh, his theology. So there we have it. Um, Peter needed to say something, I needed to address this issue, and the solution now is, hey, let's find someone to replace him. A couple of, just uh, interesting fact I want to state about Jesus' death. Uh, if you guys are familiar with the uh, book of Matthew, and his account, he recorded that Judas actually uh, hung himself, right? And then right here, it talks about uh, Jesus' body falling and then his intestines burst out, right? And if you read this for the first time or second time, you may think, oh, man, this seems like there's some contradiction right there. Like, so what really happened? Um, So here's the thing, through the studies, uh, Matthew tells that Judas died from hanging, but Luke gives a graphic description of what occurred uh, following the hang. So what they believe, the commentators believe, as they were studying this and researching this, was that everything actually happened the same way. Like, Judas did hang himself. But Luke is just talking about um, how Judas, after he hung himself, that he was left for a long time. Um, And because they were in Jerusalem and it was hot, his body eventually decomposed. And so he fell off the tree and died, and that's where his intestines, everything came up. Boom, like that. Enjoy your lunch uh, with this description. Um, so that's how it was. So, so it's, it's congruent. The sto- both stories are congruent. But the point I want to raise right here is this, about, Jews, uh, about this situation, is that despite Judas betraying Jesus, right, Be- Despite the circumstances, that God can still turn a bad situation into something that is good, that is still in accordance to his plan. And I want us to hear this today that no matter what we face, whatever that is bad, that God can still turn things around to make it good. Just like even though Judas betrayed Jesus, at the end of the day, God has the final word. God has the final word. And, and he still took the bad situation and made it into a good thing. So the apostles needed to fulfill it, and that's what they did. They replaced Judas. And, so the, um, and, they did, and the next thing that they did, if you guys um, see, is that they actually spent time in prayer. They nominated two people, and then they spent time in prayer because, second point I want to make, is that prayer guides us to make wise decisions. I'm not saying that God always answers our prayer, Okay. God doesn't always answer a prayer because it may not be good for us. He knows what's good for us. And a lot of times we think that the prayers that we want to be answered is good for us, but maybe it's not. And that's why God doesn't answer it. And He knows what's best for us. But God oftentimes helps us to discern what's best and leads us to the right direction. But we have to be disciplined and be willing to learn to be still, to be quiet, and be willing to wait and listen, learn to listen to God's voice. And as we learn to listen to God's voice, we recognize His voice, and that's where God will speak to us. That's where God will direct us to the next path. And so prayer guides us. When we spend time in prayer, it guides us to make wise decisions. So let's read chapter 21, uh, verses, uh, yeah, sorry, verses 21 to 26. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time, the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken out from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barcibus, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. So again, because of his Judas betrayal, they need to find a, um, they need to restore the group to the twelve again, and and the criteria is this, right? That the criteria is this person has to be with Jesus the whole time, from beginning of John's baptism to his resurrection has to be someone, essentially, who knows Jesus well, who has seen and witnessed his miracles, his teachings, and his healing, and all the things that Jesus has done. And so they nominated Joseph, uh, called Barsabbas, and Matthias. There's actually not, unfortunately, there's really not much, uh, there's not much information about Joseph and Matthias. The only information that's gathered is that Joseph uh, was known for that one time he drank snake poison, and he survived. Like it did no harm, so I'm like, that's cool. Sorry, don't do it though. Don't do it. Um, but Matthias, his name means a gift of God, and, and his name doesn't get mentioned too often in Scripture. But uh, commentators have believed that believe uh, that he was part of seventy, that if you remember, Jesus sent out seventy uh, of the people to go and reach out uh, to people to different houses and to spread the kingdom, uh, to spread the gospel, to talk about the kingdom of God, um, and they believe that Matthias was one of them. So anyway, so there is really not much information, but nonetheless, these are the two nom- uh, nominees for, uh, to take over the 12th spot. And so in the sermon, they pray together. They pray this, right? Then they pray, Lord, you know Aaron's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. If I can paraphrase this, God, you know our hearts. You know the next person that needs to be there. And, and, and show us who it is. You, who should be taking up this apostolic ministry to, to replace Judas? And a question I want to ask you guys is, in your life, before you commit to something, to doing something, do you also ask God for wisdom, for guidance, and his will? Because um, the, the point is that it seems from this example that the Apostles were diligent in their prayer life together and they lifted every situation situation up to God. And because of that, God directed their hearts to and helped them choose the next person because they spent time in prayer. So how did they do it? They cast lots, verse 26. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, so I want to talk about uh, casting lots. This happened before the Holy Spirit came. So they had to find some means to, to ask for God's direction. So I don't think it's wise to do it nowadays because we have the Holy Spirit and he guides us. But back then, before the Holy Spirit came, that's what they did. And, some, um, and so some commentators actually believe that this is right. Um, and this is the right decision. This was the best, desi- best decision that they could make before the Holy Spirit came, and they trusted God in the process. Um, you know, after they chose this, uh, there are arguments out there saying that the church was actually wrong for doing this. They should have chosen, uh, they should allow God to be the one who chooses and not to present two people to God for him to choose. So they said that they should have chosen, allow God to choose someone like maybe Paul. But if you think about it, right, the criteria is someone who has been with Jesus from the beginning to the end. And Paul came later in the picture. Um, because at first he persecuted Christians until Jesus met him face to face and he changed his life. So Paul came, never fit into the description to begin with. So all this is to say that the casting lots was what um, they had to do at that time in, in order to know what God's decision is. So that's it right here. But As we're closing, I just want us to think deeper into it as well. Again, about Jesus' betrayal, right? The thing is, I've said this like before, that Jesus already knew a long time ago that Judas would betray him, but still Jesus allowed it to happen because he wants to fulfill his father's plan to bring salvation to human, humanity. There were definitely times when Jesus could have walked away from the situation by using his power to stop the events from happening. He could have just walked away from it, right? Like, if you think about prayer in the garden of gethsemane jesus said before he got arrested in matthew he said my father if it is possible may this cup meaning the suffering be taken away from me not yet not as i will but as you will you see jesus even though he's fully human fully god he right there was his human side he was experiencing pain he was in anguish and he was yeah he was asking the father if it could be taken away from him but at the end of the day, he knows that it is part of Father's plan for him to take up the suffering and to die. And so Jesus, yes, experienced that, but he chose to fulfill his Father's plan by going through suffering over walking away from suffering. And this is why we're gathered here every Sunday or we come together as a church in life groups, on Sundays, to worship God together and to pray together because of what Jesus has done for us back in history. And this is why we're focusing prayer in this passage because it seems clear that the church really grew and became vibrant and impactful, because they committed their life to prayer and in unity. And so prayer isn't about being a method to get God to do the things that we want, but to simply connect with Him. It's simply just being still coming before God in his presence and connecting with him to acknowledge that God is the God of our lives and um, of everything in our lives. So prayer, in a way, prayer is is to submit to his authority, his way and his kingship and allow him to change us and to lead us. And I'm convinced that without prayer, there is really no church or else we're going to have church for the wrong reason. That, church, that prayer is so vital to our Christian faith and as a community together. We can't ignore prayer and still call ourselves Christians at the same time. That prayer is vital and essential. So the question that I want to ask you now that I just asked you before is, before you commit to something or make a decision, do you pray and discern for God's wisdom, guidance, and will? Do you pray and ask God to also check your motives? To check your heart before you commit to something? Or when we vote for people in leadership just now, right? Right now, right? With the deacons, with the department head, with people that we vote for for leadership, do you also pray about it before you vote for that person? And also, do you also pray for the person that you vote? <laughs> right? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Do you lift it up for God? And these questions, I think, are worth exploring, worth uh, reflecting as Christians because asking God, tells us that we actually care about his opinion. And I say this because even in situations where we have an idea about something or we plan to do something, we usually ask the people closest to us, right? Like we ask our family, our closest friends, or our significant other. Why? Because we care about what they think. If we don't care about what they think, we wouldn't ask them. But the fact that we ask them, if this idea is good or I'm planning to do this, what do you think? We care about their opinion. So likewise, asking God and presenting things to Him before we commit to something says that we actually care about what He thinks as well, if this is also His will, right? Like, even for me, I get caught up in this Even right before the New Year's. I was um, actually, I got an email um, asking, churches asking me to uh, guest speak, and, and I saw my schedule. I was free, and I was so close to sending an email and click send. I was like, wait. <laughs> and I felt like God was saying right there, like, hey, did you... Did you pray? Did you ask for my will first before you before you say yes? So even for myself, I get caught up to doing things or making decisions before um asking God. But I think we need to shift our mindset as Christians is to learn to ask God first before we make our com- um, make our decision, our commitment. And so I think it's important for us to make a daily routine in prayer. Um and to get into it. And the reason why I say daily routine is important, because first of all, it prepares ourselves in general. It, 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 it builds our faith, it strengthens our faith, right? Constant prayer helps us to know God more, his character. And we grow deeper, we know Jesus more, and our faith becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And when we become dependent on him, when our faith is strong, then the next time we face some uncertainty, known circumstances or uncertainty that, that challenges our faith, that we are still able to stand strong and not walk away from Jesus, but to be closer to Jesus, be drawn closer to Him. This is why we pray. This is why we read the Bible. We spend time growing our faith, growing our spiritual walk, so that when things, bad things happen to us, we're not going to walk away from Him. That at the end of the day, we have the right faith. We have the strong faith to respond well to hardships. So even so when our faith is stronger, so even if we experience anxiety, fear, stress, burnt out, or even depression at times, our faith keeps us going knowing that God is with us, that God is the strength to our weakness, that he is walking alongside with us and that we are not alone. But it takes prayer. It takes us to build the spiritual resilience and grit for us to be able to stand firm when bad things happen. And so that's what the church did. That's what they did together. So when I think about the prayer as a community, I believe we grow closer to God and as a church together. Our oneness and unity grows together where we begin to actually pray a lot with one another to care for one another. It comes from prayer. We learn to love and care for one another so much that even when it comes to topics like being fast or unfacts, that we can still be in unity together that we learn to carry each other's burden and fight for the other person. And I'm saying this, we learn to love others, to carry their burdens. I don't think we can ever do that as a church in unity without actually praying first, without relying on God, because it's through prayer that God shapes our hearts to move in towards his direction for him and for the church in general, that we live after God's own heart. So we do grow closer. So lastly, again, prayer is vital to our spiritual growth. That's how we live a life that counts, live a life that is after God's own heart, and we become a church that's after God's own heart because prayer moves us to God's direction. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness for your provision, God, for your mercy, for your grace and your sovereignty. And God, i just thankful that we get to read your word today and that your word is still living and active and your word can change our lives. So I pray, God, that, that your spirit will soften our hearts, that your spirit will change our lives, change our hearts, that we would rely on you more that we will come in humility to pray and to talk to you, connect with you, especially in times when things are tough, when we're struggling with certain things in our life, that instead of walking away, may you give us that strength to come to you to pray, to learn to listen to you, to be still, to sit beside you, Jesus. That's what we need. And so the next time we experience this hardship, Lord, may your spirit remind us to just simply dwell in your presence, God, So, God, we thank you so much for what you do for us, God. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you now for the Holy Spirit. And may your spirit be at work. May we get stronger in our faith, and may we build a strong relationship with one another as well in this church and to learn to support one another. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.